I'm Joseph Dweck, and this is Humans Being. My guest this episode is Annabelle Maldonado. Annabelle is a fashion journalist and entrepreneur. She spent a decade working in fashion, and in 2019, she founded Psyche, the first e-commerce platform that suggests fashion and style choices based on a consumer's personality. She runs a sister media site called The Psychology of Fashion that examines why we wear what we wear. Annabelle has written articles for Vogue Spain, Vogue Italia, O Magazine, Financial Times, and more. We discuss what inspired her as a young woman to work in fashion and why she finds fashion and style so meaningful. We spoke about the relationship we all have with clothes and how it impacts us and acts as a form of communication. We considered how our choices of clothing can enhance or inhibit parts of ourselves and how it can help us come to know ourselves better. This episode will give you a new perspective on why you wear what you wear. Annabelle, thank you so much for joining the podcast. It's really great to have you on. Thank you. It's great to be invited. Um, I, you know, I always like to start with with uh, hearing a bit about our, our guest's story and uh, how it is that you've come to to do what it is that you're doing now. I know that you've been interested in fashion since you were really little, and you you worked in the fashion industry for. 10 years. You're the founder and CEO of Psyche, an e-commerce platform powered by AI and psychology. You've written a tremendous amount about the relationship between fashion and psychology and how it is that we relate to what it is that we wear. I wonder if you could tell us um, a bit about your story. How did you get there? What brought you to bringing these two disciplines together? Sure. So, Essentially, I think it comes a little bit from this dichotomy that's been in society for women, at least when I was growing up, it's a little less so now around, you know, there's you're usually one of two types of girls, right? You're the girl that's interested in fashion, you know, not so interested in academics, or you're the smart girl who isn't interested in fashion, and you kind of have to pick, right? So that was the climate um, that we grew up in. And I think initially I liked fashion more, so I was always more into pop culture, less into academics, and you know that change in high school. So I kept, I kept, I guess, like flitting back and forth for a while, feeling like I have to be one or the other. What was what was bringing you out of that? In other words, were you, what was the message that you were getting in terms of your interest in fashion? Were you were you told that that was a waste of time? Or? Yeah, within my family, it was just very much. You know, I come from a fairly religious family, and the message was, you know, that's kind of vanity. This isn't important. It's not um, healthy or good or you know morally good to be so consumed or so focused on what you're wearing. And you know these magazines don't give the right message. I think the Vogue magazines in the '90s at the time um, there was more of a focus on academia. But then at the same time, while I was in academia, I didn't identify with any of the teachers I saw. They weren't physically in the way they were dressed and the way they carried themselves and the lives that I imagined them to lead. I didn't identify with that. So based on these sort of limited examples, I kind of thought, well, I must not be a science person. And then in university, I didn't end up deciding to study psychology because I was just very interested in human behavior. And there were a few chic professors in that program, thankfully. So I started to feel like, okay, maybe I'm finding sort of where I belong. And But I still had these limiting beliefs around not being a so-called science person. And then who really broke those down for me, my mentor at the time, Dr. Katzman, who's um, a leading psychiatrist in Canada, where I was volunteering as a research assistant. He's like, well, I don't really see how you're not a science person. You have a very 
kind of neural approach to things and you've done so well here and you've done so well there. And he really just kind of tore apart a lot of those self-limiting beliefs. And at that time I was getting ready to go to London on what I thought was going to be a gap year. And I was just a little bit confused about what the right thing to do next would be. And he always just kind of said, you know, you'll end up where you're supposed to be. You'll end up where you're supposed to be. Stop overthinking it. And then, yeah, I came here. I ended up working in psychology um, as part of a diagnostics team with young children. And despite that, which is, I guess, for another question, I ended up working in fashion. So he was right. And then I was here and I was enjoying the clinical work with children a lot. Um, but being the NHS, or maybe just the nature of the field, there was very little clinical work. There was like maybe one or two clinical appointments a week, but the rest was a lot of paperwork. And I felt more like a social worker. I didn't feel like I was making an impact on a grand scale the way that I imagined. And at the same time in London slash Paris, where I'd sometimes go on the weekends, it would, you do see a lot of creative people working in fashion. And I was just really inspired by certain people that I saw just walking the streets. And, you know, something told me that there's more to this than just, you know, I always thought, okay, all girls like fashion, but I knew that there was something a lot deeper about the way that I appreciated it and the way I, you know, obsessed kind of a, in an encyclopedic way about the industry. I knew every creative drug drawer of every brand. And I kind of said, well, you know, Dr. Katzman always told me that I'll end up where I'm supposed to be. Why don't I stay, throw my hand at fashion, see if it works out. And then maybe if it works out organically, then maybe that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So there was like a calling to you. I mean, it sounds like that you were really being drawn to it. hundred percent. There was definitely a calling. There was this particular woman I saw sitting at this brasserie in Paris that walked by in this like head to toe black outfit with this really like buttery leather bag and this really nice sweater. I'll just never forget her. It was like the moment I saw that woman, that was the calling. Elaborate on that a bit. How so? I mean, you see this woman in this outfit in Paris and... It was funny because I was actually, um, I was a bit heartbroken on this trip. I'd just broken up with this kind of the first guy I really liked living in London and we had gone to Paris with my friend. We were sitting at this brasserie, just people watching. It's on Rue Saint Honoré, where a lot of fashion history happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Coco Chanel's first shop, etc. And so we're just people watching, and there was just something. I was just so moved on such a visceral level at seeing her in this this clash of textures and the black and the leather and the the size, the proportions, the silhouette. Mm-hmm. It was like a really big bag and a really chunky sweater. And it was like seeing a work of art. It was just that moving. And I'm, I think I realized then that I feel for fashion in a way that isn't normal or average. So how did you end up getting into it? So then I'd say about a month later, I was with the same friend and we were sitting in the park somewhere in London, flipping through magazines. It was like a sunny day. And I was flipping through a Marie Claire that had an, a mentorship scheme going on where they had been, they had, were offering... 40 women who were leaders in their fields, you know, quite varied from, you know, banking to Joe Malone, I think at the time, and also the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire, offering themselves up as mentors. So you'd have to apply, pick a mentor that you would like, explain in a hundred words or less why you would benefit from their mentorship. And then they would select one person. So I said to myself, this would be great for a career transition. Maybe if I apply and I get it, then that's a sign that, you know, I'm supposed to go in this direction. Wow. You know, there was an online form. It was pretty straightforward, but I really went to town. I made like a, a magazine where I included my writing samples and outfits <laughs> and I, I laminated it. I bound it. I like. You weren't hand, messing around there. <laughs> I hand delivered it. Like it was just it was not, like no detail was overlooked. 
And I remember like dropping it off and kind of thinking, you know, I had such a spring in my step. I'll never forget that feeling that it was, it was just there's something so right about it. I'm like, even if I don't get it, this feels like I'm on the right path. Mm. Anyway, they took seven months to get back to me. But oh, I did wow. Get it. Yeah, <laughs> I did get it. So, and I started attending events there and then the editors noticed me and then they recommended me for internships and yeah, that was it. That was, that's amazing. You know, I mean, I want to talk to you about, about fashion and the clothes, but f- for a minute, I mean, I'm listening to the story and you know, what you're describing is something that seems so integral to who you are. I mean, you know, this is just something in the world that you respond to when you speak about this woman that you see in Paris as a work of art. It's amazing to, to, to recognize because one could essentially input any discipline, any uh, endeavor into that story and recognize that this is a story of a pursuit of someone's passion, of, of what someone really loves. And you did that, you know, you went into it and you did and it's, and it's, and it's flourishing for you. So that's amazing to hear. Thanks. But I, I would be remiss to say though there were hard moments as well. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a few glamorous internships that didn't pay at all. Mm-hmm. And then I had thought for my, you know, I thought to myself, I gave up what was going to be a really secure career in clinical psychology. And just to kind of offset the cost of some of these unpaid internships, I was working at stores on the weekends and that really kind of got me down in the sense that I was like, okay, but is this really the right thing? Like if I actually kind of cerebrally don't think it's the right thing to be doing, right? No one in my family thought it was the right thing to be doing, but I I think it's even actually more interesting that even though through the hard times, I still felt deep down that it was the right thing to be doing. And that's when I guess, you know, it really is a passion. Yeah. So even though the doubts come in, there's the challenge of remaining faithful to what you really think, you know, you you should be doing what you care about. You hear that? So let me ask you, let's get into this, to this uh, question, which I know, you know, reading so much of what you've written that you're very passionate about. I am a rabbi and I'm coming at it from, you know, a Jewish spiritual perspective. And it's interesting Mm -hmm. to me that you say that your family um, was discouraging of it. And I can understand that, you know, coming from the culture, I know that it's not necessarily the first thing on on a parent's list that they think, oh, you know, we want our daughter to be involved in the fashion industry. But when I think about it removed from local culture, you know, the Bible, uh, the Hebrew Bible, it, it opens with essentially the story of what are human beings wearing? Because we have Adam and Eve, who uh, very clearly recognize that they're wearing nothing. And that's the first major issue of the human condition, is mm-hmm. that they have, to, they have to deal with that problem. And so they use these makeshift fig leaves to be able to just cover, which is extremely functional. And then interestingly, it says that, that God makes for them these leather tunics that they, ha- that they wear as almost mm-hmm. an upgrade to, to what, they were wearing, <laughs> yeah. what they were wearing before. Um, but he's clothing them. So one might even say that this is the first design that is being given. So it's, you know, the first designer is God and he's putting in, at least in the Bible, right? So he's, and he's giving mm-hmm. these, these, these human beings their first outfit, which is a leather tunic. I mean, that's on the basic understanding. You know, there's other understandings of what exactly is going on over there. But one cannot get away from the fact that uh, that the that the Torah, the Hebrew Bible, is putting great emphasis on clothing itself. And as we read through, I mean, it comes up over and over and over again throughout uh, the holy writings of, you know, what people are wearing and why they're wearing what they're wearing. I mean, what comes to mind is the, uh, the vestments of the high priest 
that he's wearing crimson and linen and turquoise and gems and, you know, this elaborate hat. Um, and this is lechavod ultifaret in Hebrew for, for glory and for beauty. This is, this runs throughout. I mean, in the Talmud, one of the great rabbis calls his clothing mechabedai, which means my honors. So, so clothes without question uh, in, in Jewish thought and philosophy and spirituality are of huge importance. In your understanding, how do the clothes we wear uh, impact us, and why are they important? Well, because clothes convey certain qualities, right? With that, you know, you were just describing crimson and gold trim. That means something. Every kind of aesthetic conveys a quality, right? And that's why as individuals, we're drawn to certain qualities or, or we're not. And I think in the past, it had a lot to do with hierarchy, who you were in society, resources, tribes, basically, you know, where are you in the standing? But today, it's much more interesting because we don't have these structures in place and we're all free to wear whatever we want. So what we choose is much more important, given that now it's a much more equal playing field and it's not related to classes and, and resources and tribes, but we can say, you know, that's me and that's not me. And it's really kind of seemingly intangible. But if we start to break down what the qualities, you know, this mixture of silhouette and color and fabric and this exact formula conveys something that speaks to us as individuals, everyone responds to aesthetic. You don't have to be interested in fashion. If you tell someone who likes very simple clothes, who says that they don't care about fashion, if you give them something trendy, similarly, they'll be very repelled by it. They won't like them. It won't represent who they are. And it's not just qualities, but it's also values, beliefs. They can be represented aesthetically. And that's why there's such a variety out there. And that's why it's such a big business, because it's emotional. I mean, mm-hmm. it's funny because it has been kind of underplayed, whereas things like interior design and paint colors and the furniture that we choose, no one would argue that that makes you feel a certain way and you connect with it or you don't. Um, I mean, even with like the cars we choose or the destinations that we choose to travel to, and it's exactly the same with, with clothes. Music is another example. Why do you think that is? I mean, why is fashion more downplayed than something like interior design or other elements that we express ourselves through? I think there's several factors. I mean, part of it is we don't understand it so well. Why not? Like, what what are we not understanding about it? I think no one's looked at it from kind of an analytical way and decided to break down why we respond to what we wear individually. And part of it is because it was so emotionally powerful and visceral, it became a business, right? It became a really strong business, um, huge industry. Hundreds of billions of dollars. Exactly. And in the 50s and 60s, um, fashion magazines really wanted to leverage and kind of have power by, if you've ever seen the movie Funny Face with Audrey Hepburn, there's like a kind of caricature of a fashion editor but you know each month they have these meetings and they decide this is what we're going to tell the american woman is you know in style this month right and it just became a way for them to kind of hold the strings and have power and it became just a very insular kind of elusive industry and it 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 started becoming sort of a marketing machine and, and it became very cyclical and yes well i do think that there are trends that are based on what happens in the world that are collective and global and we respond to some of them i think a lot of it is a lot more individual but looking at that wasn't as lucrative as pushing these trends if that makes sense because if you start telling the american woman or you know women anywhere think for yourself and find out what you like it's very hard to commercialize that i think it's even harder for men <laughs> you know yeah. we don't think it's funny because we don't really think about men 
as relating to fashion or engaging in fashion the same way we think women do. And there, there are probably many reasons for that, which I would also be interested in discussing. But um, but I know, I mean, I speak to many men who say they're, they're tremendously intimidated about just going shopping. They don't even know how to even begin. Yeah. So, yeah, we don't know. No, and I mean, I have friends who aren't in the industry and you know, when they meet me, I feel sometimes that they're compelled to be like, hey, so what's the latest trend? What's in now? And I'm like, I always say, like, don't don't ask me that. Just let's talk about you. And I explain to them my philosophy. And then they're actually not intimidated and much more likely to engage with it because it makes much more sense. What is your philosophy? But that we like what we like because of who we are, right? We respond to an aesthetic because it either has a quality that we have or a quality that we lack, that we want more of. I think another misconception is that we always talk about fashion in the sense of what, you know, we wear what we wear to represent things to others, to show others, to impress others. There's too much of a focus on the social aspect. And, you know, I don't think that's untrue, but at the same time, I think it's much more that we need to wear things that we feel right in, that we feel electric in, things that we connect with. So you see clothes essentially as a way of expressing ourselves, as a way of kind of speaking uh, about who we are to, to the world. Um, I think it was Mucha Prada that said that it's instant communication, you know, what it is that we wear. Um, yes, but we also wear clothes to reinforce things back to ourselves. I think if it was just to communicate things to others, it would hardly be worth it. So, for example, once in a while, let's just say you decide to make a splurge purchase. My last one was a black leather YSL bag with a gold logo. It's very classic. Um, identify with that brand because I feel that my personal quality is very much tie in with the qualities of that brand but more so you know I didn't buy the bag to be like because there's some desire to to prove to my friends that I've made it or that oh look I'm wearing a YSL bag it's for more I feel very much that it it triggers qualities in me like triggers qualities like grit or motivation I feel that we dress into the person that we want to become so for example the gold logo represents something YSL represents something the black leather with the gold represents something it re- represents a quality it reminds me of why I work so hard who I want to be the standard that I want to live up to so i mean it's it's much like that quote dress for the job you want right because you trigger those qualities in yourself by looking at them visually yeah so it's very much um about essentially saying that that what we wear um not only is expressive of who we are but but also motivates us towards what it is that we want to be. And, and essentially we should dress that way. You, you believe that that's a way that people should dress. Very much. Mm. I think it was, it was, I think it was Yves Saint Laurent that said fashion fades, style is eternal. Mm-hmm. What's the difference between fashion and style? And is there one? I think not so much anymore. Um, back then fashion really, there were just a handful of designers who were a lot more dictative and, you know, Christian Dior had the new look and, you know, Saint Laurent had his look and Chanel had their look and you kind of had to, people were much more kind of slavish to the few trends that were out there, but now there's so many micro trends, there's so many tribes, there's so many designers out there. So there's a lot of fashion to pick from, so to speak. So it's almost has become style. There's very little that you could wear that someone would say, oh, that's not in fashion. Like no one would say that anymore. It's, it's well, much what more. Would you, what would you say the difference was? I mean, if you had to define the terms fashion is and style is. Technically, fashion is is style on a directional schedule. Hmm. Um, so it's, you know, now we're, 
there's a 90s direction, there's a streetwear direction, right? So, you know, if you were to say someone is following fashion or fashionable, that's what you would see them in. You would see the more directional end of, of clothes, see them in that. But style is just, it's much more consistent. It's your overall baseline style over time. I mean, interestingly, I found a picture of myself when I was 10 wearing, it actually, you know, it surprised me because I'm wearing more or less the same things I wear now. Like I <laughs> tend to wear monochrome. I love an oversized t-shirt, a mini skirt and sneakers. And, you know, there's this picture of me at 10 wearing more or less the same thing. And I found a few more like that. And I'm like, there was consistently always something that I was drawn to about that. You know, I, I hear you speaking about, you know, the, the great fashion houses and, and names. And I mean, I'm still uh, of the thought, or at least I believe, uh, and I realize that it might be an outdated belief that, that they have a great deal of influence on what we wear. But I'm hearing you say that there are, you know, that that's kind of dissipating, that it's kind of breaking up. Are we still heavily influenced by the by the big fashion brands or, or is that changing it's kind of all interrelated in the sense that there are a lot it's a lot more democratic a lot of the creative directors at the big houses now are millennials you know it used to be that you used to have to work for decades before you could prove yourself or you had to be the you know work for a specific atelier like the barrier to becoming a fashion designer was very different and now it's much more of a meritocracy it's much more democratic there are a lot of people from different backgrounds becoming creative directors. Most of the successful ones right now are millennials. And usually when they talk about their inspirations, it's all something very personal and it's something that they saw in life. A successful designer in recent times is a Jordan designer, Demna Glasalia, the creative director of Vetemont. And his inspirations initially were, he created a very subversive fashion line that almost kind of pokes fun at fashion and talked about his you know, Russian upbringing, feeling this sort of lack and not being able to afford things when he was younger. Then there's, you know, Jacques Mousse, who's a designer from Paris. His whole line is about the South of France and how much he admired his mother and the women and their sort of very specific inherent appeal in the South of France. And it's just much more specific. So it's not for everybody. And I think no, no designers now would never say, oh, this is for everybody. They're like, you know, I, I design what I want to design. It's for a specific type of person and either you connect with it or you don't but it's not like a blanket like this is in, in style and so that's the nice thing about now you can sort of see what you identify with and, and combine that so that's why now i think fashion and style aren't in opposition because you can cherry pick so annabelle i, I hear you speaking about the history of you know the fashion houses and and the major fashion uh designers and you know, the influence that they had on how people dressed and that that trend is changing, that, that things are becoming much more diverse and there are many more designers out there that, are, that have the ability to be able to have their designs put out and, and people are wearing them. Um, how does that affect how we are dressing and what we think about what we're wearing? I think having so much choice really allows us to satisfy the nuance of who we are there's so much that goes into kind of the formula of personal style and, and what makes you dress the way that you do. And, you know, while I try to focus on psychology and personality traits, which I think are a really big part of it, there's also things that happen to you. There's where you grew up, where you lived and other things that have influenced you. And the interesting thing is, you know, people with strong personal style, they're never too much of one thing, right? They're a really interesting hybrid. And that, you know, that goes 
for all areas of life. You know, no one likes talking to anyone that's really one-dimensional. You like people that are a little bit of a contrast. We like outfits. We like things in art, we, in food that are a little bit of a contrast, a bit of a fusion. And now with all this choice, we can really satisfy that. No one goes and dresses head to toe, you know, J. Crew anymore. You would maybe, if you wanted to wear something preppy, you might offset it with, you know, a really tough sneaker or... In fashion, you often see this styling where you'll see a really feminine dress, but with like a really tough boot, right? And that really, it conveys kind of the complexity of who we are, but also a little bit about the human condition, right? You know, we're vulnerable, but we're tough. We aspire to worldly success, but then there's also kind of the kid in us that we don't want to let go of various other complexities. So that is true. I mean, it's interesting because we definitely are seeing people dress in a much more diverse way than we used to see. And mm-hmm. we're also seeing the expression of thought in a much more nuanced way. I don't know that, that it's the human mind has changed, but perhaps what's more acceptable to be put out and expressed in society has changed. People are definitely put in boxes less. So I think that also reflects, reflects in fashion as well. What is the effect of being put in a box? Because when you say that, I do know, I mean, I do think that there are still um, groups of people and cultures that are quite rigid in what it is that they're wearing, maybe for religious reasons, maybe for you know political reasons. What does it mm-hmm. do to us to to be so confined in what we wear? What's well, very limiting. You you cut off parts of yourself because you don't think that they fit with this representation. You think you're this person and this is who you've chosen to be, and you have to act this way. And any other impulse or thought, you know, all of these messy feelings and ways of being which is so central to humanity you feel that you need to shut those off and then i feel like you would probably live in some kind of conflict that is going to seep out in unhealthy ways it would seem that that's one of the reasons why um soldiers in the army are wearing uniforms is they can't afford almost to have all of that diversity running when when you know the, the machine of war needs to function yeah, I think that's a very, you know, it's it's really good and but of course extreme example because they'd really need to be single-minded, right? You know, they need grit and resilience and they need to keep going and so the uniform triggers Serves those that. qualities and yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it can also do the same thing when it's not necessarily uh, required. Well, exactly, and that's why actually military wear is has been a part of fashion for a long time. I mean, I find that I have a military jacket that's bejeweled, which I I love and I definitely wear when I'm having a tough day. I always go for the military jacket because it inspires that kind of grit or toughness. But on the topic of uniforms, I think there's actually a, a really interesting study that's kind of the what fashion psychology was sort of born from. So two researchers at Northwestern, they coined this term in clothes cognition, which sought to prove that what we wear has an impact on our cognitive processes, what we think, what we feel, what we believe. And what they did is they took two groups and they gave both groups um, the same coat, it was a white coat. One group, they told the group that it belongs to a doctor. And then the other group, they told them that the coat belongs to a painter. And they gave them a series of tasks that measured concentration and focus and a host of other qualities. And the group that thought the coat belonged to a doctor did much better on those tasks than the group that thought that the coat belonged to a painter. Hmm. Fascinating. So it really does, I mean, it definitely affects not only what we think, but, but how we act in terms of what's going on in the context of our mind. Yes. Fascinating. It seems like then that fashion is essentially following suit with with so much of what's going on in the world because, you know, things are kind of uh, becoming much more personal, much more individualistic, you know, 
and and people are giving are being given opportunities on on so many levels. I think of you know the music industry and you know the great record labels and, and you know that kind of dropping into uh, Spotify and, and and YouTube and and you know people being Hollywood and Netflix. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, all yeah. of this is. It seems like the entire world is kind of kind of moving in this direction, and and it's so interesting to hear that the the you know that, that fashion, I guess, style is is going you know along the same the same trend. I wrote an article uh, that you featured on your blog, uh, Psychology of Fashion, that mm-hmm. speaks about um, what we were talking about before, about how much um, clothing is an element of expression, how it influences us, how we should choose wisely, essentially, um, mm-hmm. just in terms of who we are and our identity and our spirit um, and our psychology. Uh, and when I wrote that article, there was a member of my community that saw it and said, you know, I, I know someone that, that really doesn't think at all about what they wear. And, you know, this whole question about style doesn't even come into their world. And I'm wondering, is it possible for someone just to completely disregard fashion and style? And how do you see that? Mm. Well, I'd be interested to know more about that person and what kind of frame of mind in life they are. So this is a person. This is a person that's you know very involved in um, computer programming, very cerebral, yeah. you know, very intellect, you know, an intellectual. One might say that he doesn't think much about his style, but I wonder if that's true. I mean, is that in it in itself, uh, you know, a statement? How do you see that? Yes, because you don't have to think about it or or care about it, but it's still a subconscious decision. It's still a decision. He still went to a store or he went online and he bought the simplest thing he could find because that's what he identifies with. You know, if you told him to wear a sequined blazer or a, <laughs> a leather jacket, he probably wouldn't want to wear it, right? Yeah, and chances are he wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So it's almost as though people, whatever it is that they're wearing, they can't get around the fact that it's a statement as to who they are or what it is that they're thinking. Yeah, it's a choice. You still made a choice. You picked this over this. You picked, They picked the fig leaves over, I don't know, the other yeah. fig leaves. So was, this was always a choice. Yeah, I think that Steve Jobs comes to mind. You know, everybody knows that Steve Jobs you know, wore the same thing every single day because he said that he wanted less decisions to make every day. Um, and I know you wrote about that. You know, what, what, what are your thoughts about that? I think that even, you know, I think he's actually a good case study for fashion psychology because he's still... Yes, you know, while he says it was functional, he had to make less choices. It was still, he still made a choice to wear that every day, right? That was his uniform. And, you know, it was very, something very simple. And I like to dissect fashion choices from a big five framework lens. So the big five is a, a personality trait model in psychology that has really strong correlations with life outcomes, behavior, music preferences, style preferences, many things. Um, and so I think it's a really great model through which to look to and people that tend to be high on openness. So it's, it's, it's a really important trait in intellect, people that are much more liberal, democratic, that are forward thinking, a little bit philosophical. They do tend to like essentially what he wore, like a very simple black sweater. So the big five model, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's asserting these, these major personality traits, you know, that pretty much anyone can, you know, you can kind of get a sense of a person's personality by looking at how it is that they fall on the spectrum of these five traits, which I think the five traits are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And there's like, you know, these, these spectrums on. So how do you use that in, in fashion or in style? Well, the idea came to me when, you know, essentially I knew that we needed a deeper way to look at fashion, but I wasn't exactly sure how, because 
you know, you could speculate all you want, but I wanted like a tangible way to be able to, to look at this. And I remember the big five because in, you know, when we do the psychology program, you have to study personality. And I remember this being the most robust, respected, valid model. Um, you know, that these, these five traits you say were the best building blocks of our personality. And I, I definitely started to see through observation, essentially patterns at first. I had friends who wore a lot of black, Rick Owens, really directional, kind of really tough and armor-esque. Um, they were more in creative fields and these people were all very sensitive. Uh, they were, you know, prone to anxiety. We would talk to, you know, every time we talk, I, I found that I was having a a very similar conversation with all of them, like a lot of rumination, a lot of obsessing about a relationship or someone who didn't answer a text. It's, you know, the classic trait of neuroticism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that, that stereotype has existed in culture for a while, kind of the, the tortured artist, but I found a lot of truth to that. And I noticed there was, they were all dressed fairly similarly. And what were they wearing again? Kind of like Rick Owens, which is like an avant-garde designer based in Paris, who's very, intellectual and kind of he writes these beautiful press releases very cerebral um a lot of black so apparently according to color psychology black has emotionally protective qualities and it makes sense right if you wear black it sort of keeps people at more of a distance than if you were to wear something friendly interesting that makes me think of the uh, ultra orthodox jews (laughs) they wear a great deal of black yeah great deal of black no it makes sense right we we're going to keep to ourselves and this is our group and yeah. So, and it does make sense though, that if you're a more sensitive person that you require more armor, you're more into fashion because you need that, that sort of armor that it gives you. Fascinating. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I had friends who were, you know, the type of like, they're very happy, go lucky. They take nothing personally at all. Everything just rolls off their shoulders. Very Pollyanna. Mm -hmm. And unsurprisingly, you know, they, they dressed, they dressed in kind, like floral prints, very happy, very uncomplicated, didn't think too much about it. And I think that's, that's usually what we see when is, is people that are a lot less sensitive tend to work in more analytical fields. It's less creative, but they're less sensitive and hence they need less armor. So these people tend to spend less on clothing as well. That is so interesting because it also sounds like the people that are a little bit more towards neurosis or, you know, towards, you know, worry and concern and perhaps, you know, needing protectiveness are toning down the complexity of their dress. Whereas people who are kind of a bit more simple in terms of their thinking and letting things roll off their back, they're opening their wardrobe to a great deal of, you know, pattern and color and and all of that. It's almost as though they can handle it. Yeah. It's a mix, though, because I wouldn't wear anything too crazy or directional. You've used that word a few times. When you say directional, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, It's a very fashion term. It's just the stuff that's at the trendiest end of the spectrum. So the stuff that's, if you imagine kind of a spectrum of you know things that are very trendy that just okay. came out, things that look weird to normal people. You know when, when newspapers put things in a fashion show and everyone's like, what? What are they wearing? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, but then three years later, it's mainstream. So it's, it. it's directional because they're the first ones to adopt it. Okay, got that. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. No problem. Yeah. Well, I think the interesting thing is because this is just taking neuroticism and, and giving two polarities, but we're much more nuanced than that. So what's really interesting is the combination of how the five scores work together. Mm-hmm. So if you're neurotic and extroverted, well, that looks very different, right? Then you would be more colorful and exuberant while being fashionable. That looks more like J-Lo. But then if you're introverted and neurotic, you know, that's a lot more quiet black clothes. And then you have the other three 
that um, traits in the mix. So it's really about the combination because we are very nuanced, right? People are purely, are rarely pure types. So what we do in my company, Psyche, is we, we've developed an algorithm that basically assigns the same five traits to clothing to create matches with people. Wow. So you're using these traits and the spectrum, uh, you know, these traits to be able to kind of help people in their shopping and their style and their. Yes, exactly. To help them find clothes that feel like them and weed out things that they don't want to see. Wow. That's so innovative. That's so brilliant. Thank you. So how does that end up coming back to Steve Jobs? How did you end up seeing Steve Jobs on that scale? I saw him as high on openness. Naturally, he's one of the greatest innovators of our time. So I don't think, you know, we really need his scores. I think it's, mm-hmm. I guess, a fair guess. I would say very high in conscientiousness. I think conscientiousness is defined by how interested you are in sort of worldly success and achievement. And I think, you know, his, his work was his life. So that's high as well. And I think maybe maybe the lack of creativity and, and the the regimented way in which he dressed related to being conscientious as well, because it was like, I'm going to get up, I'm going to put this on, I'm going to have, you know, many clean stores ready, and then I'll be ready to go. So that could be related to conscientiousness. Didn't seem like the most extroverted fellow. And often people that have very specialist knowledge aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a decent speaker. So I would assume he was moderate in that. Mm-hmm. And then agreeableness i think famously he was quite low in that mm-hmm. um interesting trait i feel it's it's definitely um good for business to be lower in agreeableness and perhaps that was a little bit of why he wore black and never a pale color mm. and neuroticism is a tough one to guess with him but i'd say moderate moderate high mm-hmm. and that's kind of just you know how you saw his jeans and black turtleneck and new balance uh, sneakers. Yeah, connecting with what we know about him. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, fascinating. I wonder if we can speak a little bit about um, how fashion and uh, sustainability are are developing. I mean, I know I just read, I think it was this year that uh, the Queen is not wearing fur anymore, and mm-hmm. uh, London Fashion Week was really centered around sustainability. Uh, how are the ethics of sustainability and fashion? Uh, developing and how is that affecting what we wear i think the past three years it's developed at um positively so at a really great pace i think maybe three or four years ago there were very few people talking about sustainability and it seemed like something that was never going to happen it seemed too impossible but you know a handful of people in the industry have really made a big difference in terms of advocating for all the areas and sustainability and fashion that can change uh, my own mentor and investor actually works with the WWF to create change in the fashion industry. So it's it's happening at many levels, from sustainable materials to supply chains to how much you know stuff is getting made to the cycle. I think part of the problem is this, as I was saying earlier, this crazy marketing cycle that was created in the fifties and sixties of you know seasons and constant drops and and newness. Um, has really created this this problem with waste. So mm-hmm. that's another aspect of it, you know, recycling clothes or, you know, ensuring clothes don't end up in a landfill. Is that because the seasons kind of forced us into that? I'm very interested in that. How, how, do, you, how do you see that? A little bit. There's just such a surplus of stuff being made. I think part of the, part of what really though added a lot more fuel to the fire is Instagram because hmm. 
you know, so many people have become Insta-famous, right, the past few years. And so all young people want to do is is do that. They want to become famous on Instagram or on social media. And that requires constant um, flow of content. And in that content, you are not to be seen wearing the same thing twice. Fresh outfits. Uh No, fresh outfits create likes, right? The more newness and stuff you see, um, that's what creates likes and followers. And the people that started becoming fashion influencers early, you know, obviously accumulated some wealth and they get gifted a lot of things. So they always have new outfits every single day. And that's created this, this desire for young people all over the world to want new outfits every day. So now there's this whole throwaway culture where there are extremely cheap clothes being made of really poor quality using, you know, in factories where people are not being treated ethically, um, all to have this sort of, newness, constant newness. Wow. That's a really big part of the problem. I did not know about any of that. That's, that's really interesting. So there's this, so throwaway culture essentially is driving, um, higher production, diverse production, but lower quality production. And the circumstances of the production are also, um, problematic on an ethical level. Yeah. And these things end up in landfills, right? So, where they don't biodegrade. So there's all kinds of issues with that. So there are a lot of people trying to champion, you know, longevity again, like Livia Firth, she's a consultant and, um, at Eco Age, and she's been championing a campaign called 30 Wears, kind of advocating, like, don't buy something unless you really think you're going to love it and wear it at least 30 times. But where I think psychology can, comes in, where psychology can help is if you know yourself, and I think our framework will help you understand your style sense of self much better, the mantra that I go by is self-knowledge is the antidote to mindless overconsumption, then there's less of that need to try things all the time because you know who you are, you know what you like. Can you say that again? Can you say that again? I love that line. Say that again. Thank you. Self-knowledge is the antidote to mindless overconsumption. Wow. That's in all areas of life, really. Completely. And so, you know, I've done that myself, despite the fact that I think about this stuff way too much. I've also been like, oh, maybe I should brighten up. Maybe I should try a floral print. Maybe this, maybe that. Because I see all of this content so much, it gets into my head. And then I find that when I buy these things that were influenced under noise, you know, they just sit there or I want to throw them away or can't get rid of them. And then actually the things that I wear over and over again are a pretty consistent aesthetic. You know, I'm listening to you and I I really think... Um, people might underestimate how important this is because I mean, I start, I'm sure that everybody's had the experience of kind of going shopping for clothes, getting stuff, and then having it sit in a drawer or sit in a closet um, for years. And, yeah. and you still don't have anything to wear. Um, and that's just the, I think that's the experience of the average individual, you know, or if somebody's going and, and, you know, they're, they're trying to figure this out, um, you know, a theme that's kind of running through what it is that we're talking about is that, you really can't get out of the fact that what we wear is very much tied to how we think and who we are, or at least how it is that we perceive who we are. It sounds like the more that people accept the reality of that, that we are, whether we like it or not, expressing ourselves in our clothing, it will really help to be able to have some guidance on how we can make those choices that are more in line with either who it is that we see ourselves to be or who it is that we want to be and how it is that we want to be be acting in our lives. Definitely. I think the knowledge is really needed. Um, it's a little bit like Mar- you know, Marie Kondo's work is quite relevant to this, right? Because you know, she didn't talk about 
clothes exclusively, but she did sort of ask people to go through their house and get rid of things that don't spark joy and they don't connect with. And that, that trickles down to clothes too. And we all have that. I mean, I still have clothes that I haven't, there's a sweater, you know, I think I like it. I would like it on others. I like it in theory, but I do not feel good with it on. And it's, I'm trying really hard to dissect why. And I think I finally arrived at the fact, but if, you know, it's, it's not something that comes easily. You know, I think we're used to kind of thinking that we need to accumulate lots of stuff and have lots of options, but it's more about having the right options as opposed to lots of options. Yeah. I mean, I hear you say that about the sweater and, and I imagine there might be some people listening and think, well, I mean, you know, it's just a sweater, but it really isn't just a sweater. I mean, it's a question of why do I not feel good wearing this? I figured it out. It's, Did pale, you? it's pastel <laughs> and I hate pastels. They're too, they're too sickly sweet and that's not my personality. So, but so, it's essentially something that does not jive with who you are because what you're describing is almost a visceral response, you know, an emotional response to something that you're wearing that tells you something about you. But that's the same thing, you know, we, you know, clothing is very helpful in that way because it's the same thing with regards to our feelings and the same thing with regards to our emotions and our behaviors. You know, all of us have things that we feel that we do that A, we may not even want to do, or we don't even think about doing, but we also don't understand why we might do them or why we might feel them. And clothing is a powerful instrument for us to be able to think, you know, um, why am I wearing this? Why is it making me feel this way? What, what is it that was bringing out in me? Um, because it really is the way that we put ourselves out into this world. Ex exactly. It can give you clues as well. I'm a firm believer that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And what, it, what the sweater sort of revealed to me is that I'm a very extreme person. I work really, really hard and then I'll have bouts of laziness. I sprint or I walk. I don't jog. Um, I either really like someone or I really don't. And there's never an in-between. I like really high heels or flats, not the little kitten heels. And then you know, the sweater, like pastels, they're, they're, it's an in-between color. And I realized I only like neutrals or I like really bright saturated colors, but nothing in between. And it's just like that across the board. So I can't have any pastels in my closet anymore. I hear that. I hear that. But what comes out from that is... You know, you're essentially choosing, you know, it comes back to me what um, this rabbi in the Talmud said about his clothes. He said, my clothes are my honors. They are mm -hmm. the elements that honor who I am. And he held that in such high regard that it's recorded 2000 years ago, you know, for mm -hmm. every Jewish person to study and to kind of hear and learn. Nonetheless, it's a wisdom that is put out for an aspect of the human condition that's really important for us because your decision about that sweater and anything else that you wear or anything else that we wear is a question about our honor. How do I wish to be seen, respected, um, both to myself, because you're talking about how you feel in it, you know, and in terms of how it is that people perceive me, how it is that people are looking at me. And that's so central and fundamental to how we live our lives. I agree. I, I think maybe in buying it or if I were to wear it, perhaps I would be perceived as more feminine, more docile, or more calm, not as extreme and, and bold as I am. And maybe that's why it feels wrong. It feels like it's trying to like tone me down or dampen me, right? And then I feel like, no, I don't feel in alignment with this. Well, that's a significant point because, you know, you did buy it. And so, you, you know, you, you, one wonders, you know, what was I thinking, what was I seeing when I made the purchase as opposed to how it actually, you know, runs on me, you know, how it is that it actually, actually end up seeing it on me. So there's like maybe an image that we have of, of things that when we come to it, 
it's fascinating how much this is involved in the way that we think about ourselves. Especially as we're younger, because we, we like to calibrate, right? Am I this person? Am I this person? Am I that person? And we do that through fashion. And that's why we buy so many things where we look back and we're like, why? It's because we're calibrating. But I think we get to a point where we're like, no, this is me. And this is what, this is how it's expressed. That's an interesting question. Do you think that there is, you know, age appropriate clothing? No. Why is that? I think if there's a natural organic progression, I think that's mm -hmm. fine, but mm -hmm. I don't like external exposed rules. It has to do a little bit with where this was your role in life. You're meant to procreate. And as soon as that's done, you're kind of done. Right. So, you know, it reinforces the idea that you're dressing for others. You know, if you've had kids or you have a family, why would you care about how you dress? Do you want to draw attention to yourself? It's very much the old way of thinking that that is the purpose of clothes, whereas that is not the purpose of clothes. That what is drawing attention to yourself? Yeah, impressing others, drawing attention to yourself, like erotic capital. Right. Well, you know, that's a very interesting point because, you know, there is certainly in, in Jewish spiritual thought, you know, questions of modesty and what that means. And uh, are we dressing to draw attention to ourselves, which is, which is another question. There's a very famous statement um, in the Talmud in which that states, uh, if you run after honor, it runs away from you. And when you run away from it, it follows you. Um, and I wonder about that, you know, in terms of how it is that we dress. Are we dressing in order to be able to get people to think certain things or to look at us a certain way? Or are we dressing again in a way that is expressive of, you know, who we are, what we aspire to be? In other words, there's an element of modesty in simply saying, I am who I am, rather than saying, look at me. Do you see what I'm wearing? You know, what do you think about that? I don't know. I'm a firm believer that ultimately we dress more for ourselves than we do for others. And if you're wearing something that's quite bold, I mean, I sometimes do, it's really not to be looked at. It's because I feel really good in this you feel particular bold. thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. you, you feel bold, you feel in your element. So for example, one thing that could be considered young is headbands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you like headbands, there's articles that used to go around. They're like, you know, 30 things you should never wear over 30 and things like headbands would appear. And you're just like, but why? Right. So, and I think it's very much tied to identity and who you are. I mean, there's a big style icon. I think she's like 99 now, Iris Apfel, and she still shows up in editorials and all over. And she's such a bold, remarkable personal style, very colorful, very whimsical. But then sometimes I look at influencers in their 20s and they have a similar aesthetic. It's not about the age. Mm -hmm. Going back to this, again, this, this woman that you saw in Paris that made such an impression on you, that you describe as a work of art. Mm -hmm. How much of dress is art or, or when is it and should it be? It's art when it's creatively inspired, mm -hmm. when there's an element of emotion. I mean, I think if I was to put on, as I often do, like a hoodie, leggings, a pair of sneakers and run to the store, I wouldn't feel that that was art. But if I spent time thinking about the outfit and I mixed certain colors or textures in unexpected ways, then I would feel that that, that would be more, more artful. So clothing is also a way for us to, to create, to play. Yeah, same like cooking. I feel like it's very similar to cooking. Really? It's a creative expression, yes. How so? Yeah, when you're cooking, you, I mean, at least you know, if you're the type of person that, you know, instead of following a recipe to a tea, kind of goes with their gut and invents different things and throws in the spice or uses different inspirations and mixes them together. I feel like it's, for me, I feel cooking is a very kind of meditative, creative thing. It's very relaxing. And I feel the same way when I'm, when I'm styling. 
Do you have aspirations for fashion, for style, for how people dress? What would you like to see happening that might not be happening now? Well, I'd like everyone to be able to have this knowledge so that they can be their optimal selves or live their best life and, and dress in a way that makes them feel really good, not be confused by it, not be intimidated by it. And for us to understand fashion in the psychological way, because I think it could help improve our lives. I always say, I mean, in a way, I I had a lot of challenges in my life and, you know, I was underprivileged in many ways, but I feel that clothes in a way saved me in, in the sense that I always dressed like who I wanted to be and I lived into that person. I made the choices and, the you know, I adopted the behavior that those clothes triggered in me. And I, I you know, it's almost like using clothes therapeutically. And I think so many people can benefit from that. Wow. And I think even on a daily basis, sometimes we still don't do it. Like in lockdown, I was interviewed many times about, you know, what the op optimal thing for where in quarantine was. And I was always kind of preaching that we need to like make an effort for ourselves every day, even though I wasn't actually practicing what I preach. And then, you know, cause I always kind of think I'm immune to it mm. because I know it somehow I'm exempt from it. But then actually I find that when I stop engaging in that and stop dressing in ways that triggers focus and productivity, then I start slipping as well. So wow. we all need reminders of it. So clothes as a mode of therapy, a, a mode of, of inspiring productivity, mode of expressing our ourselves and becoming our best selves it's some pretty serious stuff annabelle <laughs> i'm not kidding it's a little <laughs> bit like the work of have you read um any of alanda bouton his work i have yeah so, so, you know his book artist therapy it's it, he argued that we've been looking at art uh, wrong all this time right like focusing on the year or the painter or the type of brush or the you know the way it was painted and In technical kind of, ways yeah, exactly. I've been getting really pretentious about all these details, but he's like, what is the whole purpose of art? It's because when you look at it, you feel less alone. You feel understood. It fills a need, right? And then he wrote Artist Therapy and he classified all these works of art by what kind of therapeutic aspect they offer, like problems in love. Look at these problems with finances. Look at these. And then I think the art gallery of Ontario and Toronto and the Reich Museum in Amsterdam actually let him reorganize their archives wow. in that way. Yeah. So I think a lot of what he's done and he's, you know, he's written books about how to look at architecture in that way uh, in terms of what it offers us psychologically, the payoff and travel. So, I, you know, I think it's what I want to do for fashion is what he's done for those um, verticals. It sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. And I can't wait to see uh, what you do and how, and Thank how you. what you're working on, um, you know, impacts us and, and definitely helps us. And I, you know, from our conversation, I have a really uh, a much better understanding or at least a different layer of understanding in terms of what it is that I've learned, you know, from Jewish spiritual thought about clothing, that it really is a, a, a central mode for our growth and spiritual health and well-being. So thank you so much for that, Annabelle. I'm glad to hear it. I feel that way too. And it's been, it's been a great discussion. Um, and I can invite anyone really to, so on psychefashion.com, you can take the big five personality test and right away you get your results in an editorial way and everyone will get clothing recommendations based on those their scores that's huge it's really exciting yeah. really thank exciting you. thank you so much thank you you've been listening to humans being with me joseph dweck be sure to rate review and subscribe and check out the links in the show notes for more information 